0: listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Neenum, and my co-host Henry Salmon. Welcome back to 2021 I Might Be Wrong. We're back. We promised we'd be back and we're back. How are you doing, Henry? Hooray, yeah, back. New year. New, well, same <laughs> same pandemic. <laughs> yeah, sadly that hasn't gone away. How are
1: you doing? All good? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Yeah, all is good. Ruing trying a dry
0: January. Oh, that was a mistake. That is a mistake. Yeah, I managed a week which was more than I thought I was going to manage and I definitely didn't get alcohol withdrawal headaches or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Well, I think everyone who
1: likes to drink alcohol in these troubled times should carry on is uh my my logic which I'm not keeping to but I probably will <laughs>
0: disappear back into it very soon. Uh-huh. That sounds about right so at the end of last year we said we were going to do some bigger bands and we've we've decided to to go really big for this episode haven't we uh, well yeah we've got we've gone double um we've got two <laughs> big bands we have we've got a face off breaking the mold so who have you brought to the table i have brought oasis to the table and of course that has meant that i've brought blur to the table because we're going to talk a bit about oasis versus blur battle of the brit pop one of the biggest musical events in the 90s but we're not really going to do it as UV me on this one are we we've just split the research that way because there's so much about these two bands uh, and we both we both like both of them yeah and we'll probably trip over each other
1: i've got a ton of stuff and to be honest a lot of people listening will know this stuff anyway so absolutely there shouldn't be too many surprises in here but it's interesting to go back over the backstories and also to talk about the the way that both bands saw kind of rises and falls throughout their career. Yeah. Because sometimes people talk about Blurvy Oasis as if it was a kind of one-off thing, but this is a 10-year-plus
0: kind of head-to-head, really, I think. Yeah, but it's it's also interesting in terms of how those relationships change because they they certainly didn't start out as rivals or enemies in any way, shape, or form. And there have been some reconciliations that have happened since then and some very much not reconciliations that have happened as well. Yep. So I think the easiest way to do this is we're just going to talk through both bands' careers over over that period. And we've decided that because there's quite a lot here, we're going to split it. So today you're getting part one. And next week we will provide you with the second part. Yeah. Given that I... Did the blur research and blur were the first band on the scene between the two uh, i guess we'll start there so blur are according to wikipedia an english rock band which i think is a <laughs> bit of an understatement they were formed in london in 1988 and they consist of singer damon orban guitarist graham Coxon, bassist alex james and drummer dave roundtree they were apparently originally called seymour which is obviously a terrible name
1: yeah, I think, weren't they a weird post-punk band or something? I'm I'm not quite sure what Seymour were, but I don't think they've got any real airplay.
0: They were very shoegaze, and actually Leisure, their first album, is is quite shoegazy. I went and had a listen to it, and I, I don't think I'd really listened to it for probably over a decade, and I hadn't really understood what it was. And it's not a bad shoegazy album. It's all right. It's sort of a mix of shoegaze and that sort of back end of the madchester scene that was happening stone roses and all that yeah when i listened to it i thought thought happy mondays stone roses that kind of
1: vibe it definitely didn't sound like the later blur it was almost as
0: if they were fitting into that madchester scene you're right yeah i think it was as much as anything they just hadn't worked out quite what their sound was at that point obviously from a band perspective everyone knows about alban he's the the front man of the band, he's the ego, the workaholic in there. You've got Alex James, who was a massive playboy during the Britpop era, uh, now turned cheese farmer, uh, and Coxon, who's the fame-shy guitarist who had some alcohol troubles uh, during the band as he struggled with their fame. No one really talks much about Roundtree, but he's quite an interesting character. He works as a criminal solicitor, he's got a pilot's license, and he stood as a candidate for the cities of London and Westminster.
1: No way. Yeah. I knew none of that. I'd only really been familiar with the first three. So maybe he's just so busy doing all that other stuff
0: that he's got no time for publicity and and TV interviews and anything like that. I think he's just not bothered about the fame side of things. I think he just enjoys doing the live music thing and is perfectly happy for, for others to take the limelight. As a drummer, drummers never get as much yeah. airplay as anyone else unless they're Dave Grohl. Yeah, yeah, true. So they signed to Food Records at the start of their career. Uh, and Dave Balfour, who was one of the top mods at the label, suggested a list of names that they should maybe consider rather than Seymour. Uh, and Blur was on that list. So that's how they ended up with Blur as their name. Simple as that. Simple as that. Pretty good name for a band. It kind of it works. Yeah. It's done them well. Yeah. So they released Leisure in 91. And Modern Life is Rubbish in 93. We're not going to talk much about these. I don't think either of us really got into them in this era. So Leisure Opens with
1: She's So High, which is great. Mm-hmm. It sounds a bit like there's reverb on Damon Albans' vocals. It sounds a bit like Suede in a way. But it's a track I am. I think is one of the high points of the album, actually. And then Absolutely. After that, it does get a bit mediocre. Damon alburn said himself that the album was a bit shit. So if he's judging it like that, then I think we can too. There's no other way. It's probably the other standout track. I think it's got some maracas on there, which sound a little bit like you could have Bez dancing in the background. You can tell it's got this kind of Happy Mondays influence. But other than that, take it or leave it. If I was going to go into the Blurback catalogue, I wouldn't go to Leisure.
0: Yeah. So there's no other way I actually made it to number eight in the charts. So some level of notice, but the album didn't really get much in the way of airplay and recognition. They then went on a apparently fractious tour of the US. I think their band manager had racked up a load of debt on their behalf and they then found themselves touring the US to try and pay it off. They were getting into fights. They were generally not having a good time. And then they returned to the UK to find uh, Suede were leading the charge and getting the success that they'd they crave. <laughs> right. And I never really thought about this until I did this research. Suede are probably the first... Britpop act to hit the top of the charts yes
1: yeah that would uh yeah I guess they would be because you're kind of coming out of the 80s and yep. a very different style
0: yeah and suede sort of sit across those styles a little bit they're slightly quirky they've definitely got a Britpop-ish sound inspired by the 70s I always think of Britpop as being inspired by the 60s and 70s guitar bands of that time yeah but they're not Purely brick pop for me, Suede.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. They've got a bit more of a, a weird edge to them.
0: I was never really a big fan. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I've always thought of Suede and Pulp to be quite similar in terms of that kind of on the edge of brick pop but not really brick pop thing. They both have the kind of weird art rock element to them.
1: Yeah, I think the the art in art rock is probably a really Good observation. They are more arty than a lot of the Britpop scene.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. So, ninety-three Blur release Modern Life doesn't make that much of a splash either, and it was fraught with issues in recording. So, Andy Partridge from XTC was supposed to be the producer. Neither he nor the band were particularly happy with the recordings that they made. They switched to Stephen Street as a producer after he. I think ran into Auburn on the street from what I can tell. And they were much happier with the sound, but both their UK and US record labels weren't happy with the lack of singles. So they recorded For Tomorrow because they needed something that would work as a single. And I love For Tomorrow. I think it's an absolutely wonderful song. Agree. Yeah, classic. And this album sounds a lot more like Blur. It sounds Blur-ish. My notes suggest that there's some politely British-sounding grunge, uh, which isn't, but the foundations for what would become Parklife are definitely there.
1: Yeah, and I think it's only foundations. It's an album that doesn't really sit in their back cut. It's, it's a mediocre album, I think. It's nice. I love the title. But yeah. beyond that, if you compare it to some of their other albums, it's very much a a growth phase, if you like. Yeah. They're starting to find their feet and they're starting to produce the sounds that
0: that really have made them brilliant. And there are people who argue that this is Blur's best album, and I suspect they're the people that discovered Blur through this specific album, and so they absolutely love it because it was their first, you know, that thing that they hooked in on. Yeah, exactly. It definitely wasn't for me, but I'm sure there's a good argument for it. Yeah. So this album, basically, it didn't get them big, but the subsequent tour in the UK saw them really start to get massive rave reviews they were getting strong live performance reviews they were incorporating tracks that they were writing for park life and then park life comes out in 94 yeah early 94 and this to me is the best blur album in my opinion enemy called it a great pop record it's bigger bolder narkier and funnier than modern life is rubbish I don't know what it is, but it's one of those albums that just has that undefinable edge that truly great records have where it just hooks you in and you don't know why, but you love every track and it, it just, it grabs you. Funny, isn't it,
1: how some albums just do. And yeah, it's a, a little magic mix of things, whether it's the everyone recording at the time, whether it's at the studio, it's all the ideas that have all come together. And it's quite rare, actually, that, a really big album is a th- is the third album for a band. Often you get a lot yeah. of ideas appearing early in in a band's catalogue. We'll, we'll come on to that with Oasis. But <laughs> it's strange that it kind of gets them a couple of albums to really get going.
0: Well, it's one of those things that annoyed me about the 2000-2010 period with indie rock in the UK, where if, an, if a band didn't have an immediate hit, they were just dropped by their label. They were never given time to, to evolve and get better. And you think if Blur had been part of the scene at that point in time they probably would have been dropped after their first album and we'd have lost all of this wonderful music true
1: yeah that's a thought I I have a funny feeling though that if you look at the way Damon Albarn's career has gone in particular where he's gone off and formed side projects I w- would have
0: would have guessed that he would have done something else yeah I think that's probably fair there would have been things that would have happened there one way or the other but maybe just not blur As we know them. Yeah, exactly. So this album charted at number one, and I've mentioned Suede, but this was the first of the real proper Britpop albums to hit the top of the charts. The run up to this becoming number one is hilarious. So the preceding 10 artists who had number one albums in the preceding weeks are Pink Floyd's Division Bell, Mariah Carey's Music Box, Morrissey, Enigma, whoever the hell they are, Tori Amos, Chakodemus and Pliers, Diana Ross, Brian Adams, Take That and Meatloaf are the previous 10 artists. That tells you everything you need to know about that (laughs) early 90s album chart and how much of a shift it was from that to what would be Britpop in the following five years. That's incredible. Yeah, Enigma were that kind
1: of moody music, kind of proto-Enya pan pipes and oddness yeah they were a bit weird but i can understand where that came from that's the
0: glastonbury crowd for you right but definitely not big rocky guitars absolutely not about as far away from that as possible yeah and i could go back further but it's basically all of that early 90s pop sound preceding this album and so i think there was there was just this appetite for big rocky music to come in and Britpop pop very rapidly became that Park Life went in at number one, Girls and Boys was the first single, and that hit number six. But it only hit 59 in the US, and that's their highest-charting single over there. Well, this is
1: part of the interest between Blur and Oasis and the way the two bands focused on the States. And there's been quite a lot of commentary about why Oasis did so well in America and Blur didn't. And I think it's... An interesting question generally why do British bands make it in the states why do some some bands work and some bands not mm-hmm. and it seems like the bands that are willing to open up to America and not not shove down the throats a kind of a style of music too hard that do, do well so Oasis and the Stones and the Beatles all produce fairly kind of standard 4-4 rock You kind of knew what you were getting. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to freak out audiences. There was nothing weird going on. It was like, this is what we do. And hello, we're from England. Whereas I think Blur are just a little bit more more hipster and a little bit more alternative to the point where it doesn't just quite translate as well. But I'm not quite sure.
0: I don't think you're far off on that. I mean, you listen to the early Blur and there's definitely a lot of quirky shit going on from the perspective of park life there are things like like park life itself uh like bad head to the end that are all relatively easy not too challenging stuff this is a low is another one but then you've got things like magic america and girls and boys and tracy jacks that are all a bit odd yeah and quirky and very very english yeah tracy jacks just would confuse people in the states
1: i think <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't travel yeah. at all
0: <laughs> right and so this was really the start of blur's star rising certainly park life is a song that it's timeless but it's also of its time you can still imagine it coming on in the pub when everyone's drunk and just loads of people going for it and jumping up and down and having a laugh and singing along raucously. Like, we all know the words intimately. Yeah,
1: I think everyone does. It's a modern classic, isn't it? So you'd have to put that in a kind of best of of Britpop, potentially right up at the top. It's, it's one of those classic songs that everyone knows.
0: Absolutely. This was sort of the time when Oasis started to emerge into people's consciousness as well, right? Yeah, so Oasis emerged a little bit
1: differently to Blur. Blur grew and evolved and slightly changed, whereas Oasis just came in and kicked the doors off and basically just said, this is us. There was no no real band growth. So if you look at their start, basically it's everyone ex-Gallagher that formed a group called The Rain, I think. So Paul McGuig Paul Arthur's Tony McCarroll and Chris Hutton. Chris Hutton was the vocalist and he wasn't really good enough, and so they auditioned Liam for the vocals. At that point, this is where the Oasis name appears, basically named because of Swindon. It was based on an Inspiral Carpets poster that was in the band's bedroom. I I don't know if you know the Inspiral Carpets as a band. Yeah, They were um, fantastic 80s, although they were almost proto-Britpop in a funny way. Well, not quite Britpop, but they have that kind of more optimistic... Guitar sound than a lot of bands floating around that era. They were quite, again, quite kind of Northern ish
0: Yeah, and and a lot of Britpop did kind of form out of that Manchester scene. Yeah, I, I yeah, you're right about the more optimistic. They are definitely a band that's influenced by late sixties, early seventies rock. Exactly, very, very blatantly and unashamedly so. Yeah, and so that's clearly
1: inspired Liam and. That's where Oasis really started. They came together. Noel actually was a, a roadie for the Inspiral Carpets. Oh, really? Yeah. So he turned up and watched one of their gigs and he said he wanted to join. And so Noel said, all right, I'm in on the proviso that I'm the front man. I do all the work, but I can make you excellent. So the brothers almost took over the band from from nowhere, which was which was a bit weird. It was almost like a... You play all the music for us, and we'll do all of the work, and we'll write you some songs, and we'll we'll make it awesome. Interesting, and it kind of worked, and it worked quickly as well. So, so they started with Columbia Supersonic Shaker Maker. Those are pretty much the first three songs that they put together, and unlike Blur, these were three hits, right? So that came off the back of their discovery, and the discovery was up in Scotland. So. Creation Records spotted Mm -hmm. them in in Glasgow and Alan McGee, who's very well known, I guess, in music circles for really (laughs) finding Oasis, uh, spotted them playing a gig. And so he was the guy that backed them and and backed them to the point of signing them up with Creation Records, who were effectively paired up with Sony. And that was it. It was kind of the, the rocket was lit at that point. So that's the lead into, definitely maybe which is their first album, right? Yeah, exactly. And this is, this is at the point where the rocket has been launched, and you've got an album which is, I mean, if you compare it to Leisure, it's just on another planet. If you look at the track listing, mm-hmm. you've got the songs I've just mentioned, but you've got others like Live Forever, which was a huge, huge hit. Oh yeah, you've got Cigarettes and Alcohol. You've got a whole list of songs which are huge in it. It set them off, not just in the UK, but in the States as well. Right. So they went on tour. And this is the point where they started to achieve not just musical notoriety, but I guess press notoriety as well. This is Mm -hmm. the point where Liam got cross with Noel and hit him over the head with a tambourine and (laughs) said that, the American audience was basically a load of shit. I was going to say, has Liam hit anyone yet? Yeah, this was the this was really the first time. So has he hit
0: anyone from the press, or is it just his own bandmates right now?
1: So this this is September 1994. Is is just his brother, which probably was okay. going on long before this. But really, it, it shows how they they really did explode onto the scene, right? In quite
0: a in quite a raucous way. And I remember this came out when you and I would have been 13 years old. And I remember at school, all of a sudden copies of definitely maybe were appearing and people were talking about this new band oasis and everyone was sort of trying to claim them as their own well same year as Parklife life
1: was released wasn't it yeah. so that's the year when those two albums dropped and they were so big and so distinctive and as you say compared to what was being released before in the charts so um I guess not new in that Oasis were kind of ripping off plenty of bands before them. <laughs> the Beatles. Well, yeah, and some. I think it's a little bit harsh. but People always say, oh, Oasis is just like the Beatles, but you've got to be good to write decent music. And Oasis did that. I know they their star faded, but some of the songs that they wrote, especially on their
0: first two albums, they really stand up. Oh, absolutely. There's some stuff on here that it genuinely is brilliant of its own right. And I love I love both of their first two albums. I make no bones about that. Uh, absolutely fantastic albums that shaped a lot of the way that I listened to music in that kind of mid-90s era. But you can listen to almost any Oasis song and find the Beatles track where there are hooks and little things that you can be like, oh, okay, that's where they got that idea from. That's and it's it's ideas that they're poaching sometimes more than the specific, you know, they're not writing a song that's exactly like a Beatles song. And I think that's where they're a bit different to some of that other Britpop thing where, you know, you can't just rewrite Beatles songs. It doesn't work like that. You have to have your own sound. And I think the Liam snarl is something that does set them apart from the Beatles very much. Like there's never been that kind of snarly noise from a Beatles perspective.
1: Yeah. The attitude that you get with an Oasis song and an Oasis gig is totally different to a a Beatles setup, but you make a, a great point about all of those little Beatles hooks that you hear all the way through it. The weird thing for me was that I started listening to more Beatles after Oasis, so when I was listening to The Beatles, they sounded kind of samey because it felt as almost as if I'd heard it before, and I I had, but the wrong way around. Right. Whereas <laughs> when my dad talks about The Beatles, when they were releasing a new single, you'd take the vinyl and you just put it on the record player and you just didn't know what you were going to get. Right. This sound would come out and it would blow your ears. Whereas for... A lot of people who grew up with Oasis, if you listened to the
0: Beatles then, it would be kind of similar. Yeah. So at this point, these two bands aren't really rivals. They're sort of... Actually, they don't dislike each other too much. Well, they kind of existed quite happily together. Right. They're not really
1: sounding very similar. So they do just run alongside each other quite nicely.
0: But then we get into 1995 and all of a sudden it's not quite so enjoyable. So Auburn admitted in No Distance Left to Run, which is a blur documentary, that Noel Gallagher used to take the piss out of me constantly and it really, really hurt at the time. Oasis were like the bullies I had to put up with at school. So there was already a little bit of underlying tension there. But you know when, I'm sure you've probably found this in your Oasis research, was there was this tipping point when all of a sudden it turned from sort of a, Friendly-ish rivalry into full-on. These bands hate each other and they're going to war, which is Oasis off their second album had a smash hit. Right. So Oasis released, some might say, in April of 1995, and scored their first number one hit. And apparently, Alan McGee, who comes across as a bit of a bell end throughout the various <laughs> stories that I've I've read up on him apparently he invited blur to the celebration party which blur thought would be like you know go along party with our buddies all this kind of stuff you know a bit of matey rivalry and apparently at the celebration party they went along to say well done and liam came up to Alban and is in his face going number fucking one number fucking one right in his face almost in you know you can imagine liam doing it In a very Liam esque way, and apparently he was just like, "All right, we'll see." It's interesting because I've read a slightly different take
1: on the rivalry. There is another one as well. So the one I've seen was straight out of the tabloids, and I've not seen any other source other than tabloid press talking about a moment where, and and it's not detailed. So I've got no real detail behind it, but Damon was friendly with one of the oasis brothers girlfriends do you know
0: any more about it than me? yeah i i didn't do the research on this one partly because it was only tabloid press that i could find any information from but the general outline of the story is apparently in that celebration party damon hooked up with liam's girlfriend at the time right but he didn't necessarily know that She was his girlfriend at the time. I think there was this thing of... He was at the party. They sort of got chatting and and hit on each other. And then he found out... It sounds like from what I've read, and I haven't read in detail because I refuse to click on any Daily Mail or Sun links, (laughs) that basically that's what happened. But it's all tabloid press story stuff.
1: Yeah. But for both bands, that stoked the flames fantastically... And right at this point, it turned from being just in the music press to becoming quite mainstream. Yeah. And the point where both bands went head to head in the, the summer of '95, that wasn't just a musical news story. It was being announced. I think even the 10 o'clock news announced the rivalry as a big deal. It was almost one of their leading stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was massive front page of newspapers i mean front page of the enemy in the run-up was this battle of britain thing that they had going on with it do, do you remember it i do i actually remember chatting with friends about whose side were you yeah. on because you had to pick sides did, did you have the same thing with your friends
1: yeah I, I remember being in a minibus i don't know where we were going but it was a school minibus i think must have been with the basketball team that i used to play on mm-hmm. and there was a big old division down the bus of Blur Oasis and it was pretty 50-50 and I was forced into trying to make a decision and I I couldn't because I saw the both bands as being quite different so yeah it wasn't like you've got two really similar bands like Pulp and Suede against each other it's like how do you choose between Apples and Oranges so I sat (laughs) on the fence and got yelled at for it well like
0: you say it is Apples and Oranges with the music style so Blur released Country House which was Something of a novelty song for them <laughs> almost. So it was written about former Food Records boss, Dave Balfour, who'd quit the business and moved to the country. And do you remember the video? Yeah, I kind of do. Because it was on top of the FOPS and everything. It was
1: I just remember there's some is there a bald guy in it or some guy I can't
0: remember. Yeah, the bald guy is Matt Lucas. Is it? Yeah. So the video's <laughs> no, fucking right. rubbish. It's directed by Damien Hurst, and it just reinforces my view that he was getting paid a lot of money just to make stuff up. So it's got Keith Allen, Matt Lucas, and a a bunch of 90s lads mag models like Joe Guest in it. Most of it takes place in a mousetrap-style board game, but it also has this bit where Matt Lucas chases the girls around Benny Hill style, and then there's a rubbish homage to Bohemian Rhapsody harmonising heads. It's, as my note says... Utter shite. Yeah,
1: well, well, actually, you're echoing Noel, who described both Country House and Roll With It, which was the Oasis single, as Mm -hmm. shit. I don't think either band really liked the the song. So uh, Roll With It was Oasis's entry, I guess. And they were both released on a Monday morning.
0: Monday the 14th of August.
1: Yeah, £2.99 at your local Woolworths for the singles. And Oasis didn't really do that well. I mean, they sold what 200,000 copies, or just over that, and um, and Blur sold more. They were 274,000 copies. Yeah, they, they both sold a huge amount of records, but both bands think those singles were a bit rubbish. And there was an interesting point from Noel, uh, who actually last year said it would have been much more interesting if they had had a chart race between cigarettes and alcohol and Girls and Boys, which both came out around the same time. But mm-hmm. in terms of merits to each set of songs that would have been sonically a much more interesting battle
0: yeah i can't find it right now but i did read one of their contemporaries i can't remember which band it was basically described roll with it as flat pack oasis it is and it sort of is it's not it's not a bad song but it's nothing special it's always a bit of a weird one to pick as a single but i guess it's because it's got that Big energy guitars and snarly Liam vocals that sort of marked out anything like that as being oasis of the era.
1: Yeah, and they clearly didn't take it too seriously because when they performed it on Top of the Pops, they switched roles. Really? So Top of the Pops, for the non-UK
0: listeners... And anyone who's under 25. Yeah,
1: it was the place to watch music. It was guess it was the end of every week. Yeah. I don't know, seven o'clock or whatever. It was the chart countdown. Yeah. And you had to watch in to see who was going to be number one. You didn't know. You didn't have anything on your phone to tell you that this was going to be the number one act. And so your favorite bands would play. And Oasis cropped up in August. And yeah, they mimed as many other bands have done, like Nirvana. And they switched roles. And it just kind of shows they're probably not taking it
0: too seriously. And they're probably thinking bigger than just Top of the Pops. Yeah, and it sounds like Blur weren't overly blown away. Maybe Damon was a bit smug about it because obviously he was the one who wanted to show oasis what's what but graham Coxon is quoted as saying that it seemed like a hollow pointless victory uh our record company threw a big champagne party at soho house in london i felt i was being forced into enjoying the moment i just wanted to be alone really i couldn't handle being part of that crowd so i tried to jump out of a six-story window it was damon who talked me out of it really wow okay i mean he really struggled with the fame in that kind of mid-90s period uh he talks about it as well. I suppose there were good times, but at the time I wasn't allowing myself to enjoy it. I was ruining it for myself. So I can't look back and change that now. It felt like I was very immature. I left home and within two years I was playing at the marquee, then suddenly earning all this money to pay off massive debts. I didn't really know what the hell happened. Mentally, I wasn't even a teenager. I was still a preteen. Life doesn't seem long enough for me to catch up with my real age. And he's the one that's really struggled with Blur's fame more than any of the rest of them. Yeah, that's interesting because I read an interview with Alex James a while
1: ago. And he talked about the fame he had acquired. You mentioned cheese farming and someone was saying, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the most rock and roll thing you do now that you've made your millions? And he was saying that he was saying he doesn't really like the trappings of fame. But the one thing he really does like to do is buy a new pair of socks every day. And I think that's just one of the most brilliant things ever. He buys new socks, wears (laughs) them once and throws
0: them away and goes, that's my rock and roll thing to do. It's the only thing he wastes money on. It's his only luxury. Yeah, I actually forgot to add that to my notes and I wouldn't have remembered that. So I'm glad you brought it up. But yeah, that is, I absolutely remember reading that a a while back. (laughs) I I can't remember
1: where it was, but he just said, isn't the feeling of putting on a new pair of socks so good? He said, I can have that every day because <laughs> <laughs> I'm minted. <laughs> I was like, yes, That's I so like this funny. guy.
0: Yeah, so that was the the Battle of Britain. And at the time, it felt like a massive win for Blur. So I was more on the Oasis side than the Blur side, purely because my tastes were much more poppy at the time. And the big Rocky guitars thing really appealed to me. So, yeah, we have kind of got to a point where this is almost the peak of early Britpop. We do want to talk more about the following albums that that were released after the singles, but we are probably out of time for today. So we're going to come back next week and talk more about how Oasis and Blur carried on into the 90s and beyond. Sounds good. So thanks for that. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year to all of you out there yeah and uh, and here's to part two which will be coming along shortly looking forward to it cool cheers buddy thank you for listening to another episode of i might be wrong